Howdy y'all, and bienvenido uh, to our podcast, The Formula One Jackass. Um, this is our Tex-Mex episode, so we're doing the US Grand Prix and the Mexico City Grand Prix all at once. Joining me on this adventure, as always, is my good mate. Christopher here. Yeah, we thought we were going to do a double episode this time. So, uh, yeah, we're around in the Americas now. So uh, lots of things have happened. The championship is so close now and uh, we can't wait to talk about it. So let's do it. Yeah. So we returned to America after uh, not going there last year because of COVID. So it's, it's good to see. Plus, it was excellent to see a full house again. And that just goes to show how the popularity of Formula One has increased so many times uh, x-fold since the last time we were in austin in 2019 and largely due to the, the the netflix drive to survive series so i actually wanted to kick off with uh, the survey that was oh, yeah. sent out uh, from formula one so the results uh, were compiled and analyzed and released over the the, the grand prix weekend in austin so key things um from that was firstly the amount of people that responded to it which compared to the last survey that they did when liberty media just took over um there was a huge increase uh but the, the demographics of it was interesting as well lots of young people but also the amount of women that filled in the survey talking yeah, about their views uh, of formula one um that also massively grew so it's uh, fantastic to see uh, in a weekend where the W Series also had their last race. Um, yeah, it, it's great to see so many new fans. And Absolutely. we can only accredit that to, you know, an increased social media presence of Formula One as well, yep. as well as the, the Drive to Survive Series. So do you see a direct correlation between those two? Absolutely. Because um, I think, was it like 30% or 40% of the crowd at the race were like new fans? Like it was the first time uh, they went to a race and that actually surprised me. I didn't realize. And you could clearly see from the pictures, the people that turned one, you know, at, on race day, it was just a complete full crowd going absolutely crazy. And yeah, it felt like a different atmosphere. I, it, there's always been a good atmosphere here at this race, but this time it, it, it felt different. There was like something bigger going on. Um, so yeah, both with Drive to Survive having a big um, influence on this, the social media presence, you know, the fact that you can easily get get access to content on YouTube as well. But I think it's also on free to air TV in America simply because of some like mm -hmm. contract contractual rights uh, dispute between F1 TV and they couldn't get anyone else to sign on to it. So yeah, I think all of this combined has just you know made it so that so many people can get access to it, and I think. Lots of sports should learn from this. Uh, this is a good exercise into showing how you can actually grow a brand, grow a sport, um, get more people involved and, you know, you can nurture it. Absolutely. And I think it, uh, Formula One is a good case study for other sports to emulate when it, when it comes to keeping the traditional, what makes that sport be that sport, but as well not being chained or limited because of traditions. So the fact that we have so many new initiatives that are very contemporary, um, the focus on equality, sustainability uh, and such, it's, um, it speaks to a lot of you know, the younger generations, which is top of mind when it comes to that. So it is very in tune. And if you, if you compare that to other sports, uh, of course, football is doing a lot uh, to, to highlight the issue of racism 
when mm-hmm. when players on the pitch uh, hear abuse, uh, when um, they're abused through social media and something like that, the the fact that it's still happening in this current day and age is is uh, incomprehensible. But lots of other sports are trying to do something, but I don't think it is as effective as what Formula One is doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I I wish for a split second I could not be an F1 fan so I could see how this is from an outside perspective because of course I'm all, always like surrounded with F1 news and everything but 100% there's something different going on with F1 and that there has been the last you know since the pandemic started as well so uh, it's a really positive thing and I think it could yeah it could make F1 like maybe the biggest sport in in a very short time like that's my hope anyway and judging on the the sheer enthusiasm and size of the crowd you know, it makes complete sense to hold more races in America. So starting yeah. from next year, we're going to have Miami. There's another possible location discovered. Uh, three races in America. It, it, it makes more sense to me than having four races in the Middle East. Yep, I agree. Even though this is a single country. But, you know, America, you know, the demographics of it, it's so varied. The country is huge. So, yeah, if you look at these two, you know, Miami and, and Austin confirmed for next year, geographically... You know, on the on the map, they're quite close together. The distance between these two locations is is vast uh, yeah. to you know, quite to European standards, Absolutely. of course. But um, to have another location, either you know, um, the the Manhattan skyline in the background has been mentioned uh, during Bernie times. Um, there's talk of going uh, to Las Vegas and having the 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 famous strip um, mm-hmm. featured in the race, which uh, the the casino owners or rather the casinos located on the strip are not too thrilled about having access to the main roads to their casinos being blocked because uh for a couple of days because of Formula one race but you know there's lots of um lots of tracks around america as well um that they are, but uh, they're not really up to standard they're quite old and you know american racetracks have a different they're like they, they just build the tracks a little bit different you know your tracks like road america road atlanta for instance sebring Riverside, Watkins Glen, you know, but they're all absolutely amazing tracks though. So like like if they let's say they took Road America and they maybe, you know, fix it up a little bit, not change the corners or anything, but you know, ro- wider areas, more grandstands, etc. I think it would be a, a really cool venue for F1. What the 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 sentiment and mentality of American racing is pretty much Rubbing this is the racing. track. This is the track and even the deteriorations in the asphalt and stuff like that are part of the track and exactly. adds to the challenge. So mm-hmm. leave it as it is, and the best drivers, like Cream, will float to the top, which yep. you know is I, I find it cool. Me it's too, completely man. not applicable to Formula One because yeah. these you know drama queens will complain about every single thing. Of course, they will first look at the safety aspect of it all, then the comfort because uh, the circuits of the Americas Cota was a very bumpy track. If we look back to the MotoGP race that was recently held there, it was bumpy to to the point of being dangerous mm-hmm. simply because there is a difference between four wheels touching the asphalt and two wheels touching the asphalt. And it was it was so borderline that um, some of the MotoGP drivers actually were thinking about perhaps, you know, striking, not racing for their safety. Ultimately, they all raced, but some, some yeah... 
accidents as well and we've had a few fatalities in the the motorcycle world uh, yeah. this this year as well so safety is of course paramount so i understand that aspect as well it's it's kind of you know contradictory to 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 the the mentality that american trucks uh current or rather existing american trucks have yeah that's the thing and you know even Kota, like you mentioned, is so bumpy. I was shocked when I saw it because it's such a new track. But of course, you know, the land underneath is maybe different than maybe in a normal American circumstance that would have been okay. But like watching the F1 cars go over these bumps and like the wings hitting the asphalt was a bit like it was a bit shocking. And if you took an F1 car in any other American track and raced it there, it would also start falling apart pretty soon. But the American cars won't, um, which is also, you know, shows a bit the different philosophy in the racing so the f1 cars in order to race they will need to have something really specialized made for them um but yeah let's see if they could do that with any of the exi existing tracks but the the new york race like you said it's been in talks for like i don't know since i've been a fan enough of f1 i think there have been talks about it so um let's see how that would be uh i'm not too keen on another city um circuit i'd love to have like a more a proper racetrack in america what would make sense for me is, of course, Formula One is the height of automotive technology. You have an area that's, you know, the the epicenter of technology globally. Mm -hmm. So out west uh, makes sense to me. Yeah. California, that area, perhaps. Yeah. 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 There's a couple anyway. of tracks there. I don't, I mean, yeah. We should need to research that a bit more. But, uh, but back to Texas and back yeah. to Austin. And man, what a classic good race this was mm -hmm. uh and i don't know where to start but let's start at the beginning of the weekend because fp1 and the uh, both mercedes were ahead nearly a second of the red bulls and uh, the pundits throughout the weeks leading up to this uh this race said you know this is a mercedes track they've uh, won every single race here since we came here um in the turbo hybrid era uh which mercedes has won so everyone thought it was a slam dunk uh victory for mercedes and after fp1 that looked to be the case then fp2 started and it completely changed and the red bulls or mercedes were neck and neck with each other separated by you know a whisker yeah and you sent me the screenshot because i i wasn't able to watch the free practice session so you sent me that and i was like wow that's that's crazy because I was expecting before going into the weekend as well that Lewis would be dominating, um, but that's that was not the case. So I think you know in the analysis of it. So let's walk through the free practice sessions. We actually had uh, Sergio Perez being on form throughout yeah. practice, um, setting the pace, uh, and then FP three as well. The Red Bulls up there. So um, come qualifying, and we knew that the uh, Valtteri Bottas as well as George Russell. And Sebastian Vettel had to take uh, new engines. So all Mercedes-powered, um, as well as uh, the Alpine of Fernando Alonso. But that was for pure uh, performance gains and not reliability. So uh, that was mm. interesting. But going to the Mercs, and this is Bottas's fourth engine penalty, third or fourth yeah, in yeah. as many races. Um, and... Um, not only if it, if it was just kept at that, then it would be fine. But the fact that George Russell and Sebastian Vettel also had to take engine penalties, what does that say about the reliability of the Mercedes powertrain 
going I, forward into these next races. Yeah, I feel like they're just playing F1 2021 like I usually play it with like not upgrading the durability apartment, department and just like at my worst races, just uh, get all the engine penalties out of the way and then race. Maybe it's something to do with that. They're strategically trying to, to come up with that instead of they know they have to fight at the front. Uh, like in Bottas's case, maybe with, with Lewis, that he can't afford to, you know, protect his engine throughout the, the weekend. But I, I don't think realistically they're, they're doing something like that. I think, yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but it, it does seem... I didn't know that Vettel and uh, Russell as well had changed their engine, so... How, how the tables have turned, because yeah. starting this, you know, turbo hybrid era in 2014, that season, Mercedes actually had to turn down the power exactly. because yeah. they were outclassing uh, the rest of the field to the fact that they, they detuned it simply to not make the others look so bad. Yep. So they never went full beans. And the reliability of the Mercedes engine is you know legendary in the turbo hybrid era. And in the last year of you know of these current regulations have they struggled where right now they are at full beans and perhaps uh, because they didn't have to run at full beans in previous seasons did these gremlins and engine issues not occur because they weren't pushed to that limit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting to see how it's the first time we've seen them play catch-up, you know? It's like, even against Vettel and Ferrari, it was always they were there to beat them and Ferrari were only quick in certain cases, you know? And under pressure, they would crack easily, unfortunately. But with Verstappen, you know, he has had such... He's so composed... He's almost distant. Like, I think maybe he's doing that on purpose, you know. And I think Lewis is getting frustrated. He's like, he's the one cracking behind, you know. If Lewis is ahead and leading, he'll be able to, you know, hold off anyone. But if he's doing the chase and he's under pressure, he gets a bit, you know, we're seeing these these mistakes from him that we haven't seen in a in a long time. Um, so it's, it's very strange. So going into next year, I still think that Mercedes... They've probably, you know, spent a lot of resources developing a car and like a whole like a whole unit of unity of the, the car and the design and the setup and everything, engines for them to be super competitive next year. But what if that's not the case? Like I can't almost I almost can't imagine that, but I kind of hope it would happen. Like what do you think will happen with that Ryan, next year? Well, I think it's uh like every team has dedicated a lot of resources to 2022 it's not just mercedes it's it's everyone simply because it's a it's a blank sheet of paper a clean slate energy for everyone um the usual suspects meaning you know the people who have, have difficulties maintaining within the budget ceiling so mm -hmm. that is also going to be quite a key um point in the in the coming years because Beforehand, um, you could win championships by out-developing the other teams. And now, like, development has always been linked to money. Yep. So, you know, usually it was whoever had the most budget available would out-develop their competitors and then ultimately walk away with the championship or snatch it. But, you know, it came down to money. And that hasn't changed. But the only thing is now there is a budget ceiling everyone has the same budget cap not all the teams have the full cap available you know some teams will go significantly below that but 
um, the major teams, uh, Red Bull, Mercedes, uh, and Ferrari has always been quite, you know, creative in how they um, place people at other places or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ferrari is a very big company, so they've been they've had a bit more leeway, but all of them had to make adaptations and changes to either personnel, making cuts here in order to uh, keep to the budget ceiling of this uh, this season. In the coming seasons, that ceiling is going to be lowered and lowered. And they're having issues right now where um, uh, something that can't be taken into account, such as the crash of Valtteri Bottas and, and George Russell. Um, Valtteri Bottas playing bowling in, in Hungary, for example. So unforeseen yeah. expenditures that, that is really pushing them towards the, the, the ceiling of that budget cap. So I think that will come into play that you know you can't just simply out develop your rivals to win the championship uh everyone's playing by the same rules and everyone has the same set of regulations yep. uh, it's not expected that there will be uh, a, a brilliant technical in, uh innovation oh, like the double diffuser be. i think there will be loads of i know it's more it's going to be more strict this regulation but i definitely think there's going to be because the the concept of this philosophy is so different than anything we've had you know ground effect is back like i can't even start to imagine like how much you could develop into that so i think we're still going to see something like that so you're expecting a huge technological gain that will give you know that team the upper edge yeah so based on that and historical data mick schumacher will be formula one world champion next year yeah exactly fantastic yeah. we've said it many times before exactly. if you haven't put it in your bet <laughs> go straight there yeah but just to talk about about the budget thing it reminded me of what uh, Lawrence Stroll said in the, his episode of Beyond the Grid I don't know if you listened to it but um, he I haven't about, completed it he, he actually talked about the reason of him investing in Racing Point or in Force India back then was he looked at across all the teams you know and saw that the team that is the most efficient money wise is the team that you know he wanted to be part of he wanted to bring this team up for success and then with the budget cap and everything it just made even more and more sense that this was the team because they'd been performing so well with such a small budget all this time and now they will have the good investment and get the facilities in place and then they can compete with a lower budget against everyone or like a more equalized budget so yeah i think that would also you know interest more foreign investors so um, yeah it's positive for the sport but uh, it, I think it will do. It will um, shake up the grid a lot. I mean, we've always seen that when there's regulation changes. Yeah, they were they were created in, in essence because of dominance of, of either one team or, or several teams try to try to shake up the field. But most importantly, for the entertainment value, you know, the the focus is on cars being able to follow one another and therefore overtake one another. Uh, so to increase the track, or rather the on-action, the, the on-track action, mm-hmm. <laughs> the action on-track, that works as well, um, to the current generation where it's just really, really difficult, um, depending on which car. And and I think this race, you know, coming back to Austin, is, um, is, is very um, exemplary as to how a car can perform in the dirty air of another, which which comes into into play when we analyze this race. So let's go back to Austin and we left off at qualifying. Yeah. So qualifying came around and we had a Red Bull pole position uh, in Austin, 
which you know was you know pretty much for everyone pretty un- unimaginable in the in the weeks leading up yeah. to this uh, I, n- none of the laps look really perfect either you know i think there was a bit of a it rained a bit in the last corner for Verstappen's lap yep. as well so you know i think all of them could have improved even then so i don't even think that was like the the right picture of the the pace of the teams and the cars and throughout the race it went up and down as well you know so very interesting yeah so max verstappen starting on pole position um hamilton starting behind him sergio perez starting behind hamilton and then came uh, the ferraris out qualifying uh, the mercedes which uh, not not the, the mclarens yeah. of which they're they're uh, battling within the constructors championship um qualifying shout outs to yuki sonoda making q3 uh, yeah again so consecutively and that that turned out to be uh it was a very good weekend for Yuki. so it i was. want to start i want to start with yuki because um his his teammates dnfing uh because of suspension issues the bumps and we'll talk yeah. about the bumps later on uh the impact of the bumps for everyone but uh, Yuki doing solidly and, in fact, having good battles with the other Mercedes this time yeah. around. In uh, in Turkey, he was battling Hamilton for a couple of laps. This time around, he, he was battling Bottas. So it, it's about it's about time. And he was given the time. And he was given the you know contract for next year. So that's not a worry anymore. Yeah. And he's, he's gotten to grips with it. You he know, has confidence he is, now. You know, he is doing what he needs to do. Yeah. He is positive reinforcement as well, I suppose. He's surrounded himself with the right people now. He he knows how to, to deal with it. He's very honest with with how he perceived F1 before coming into it and what he has to change. And I think that also just shows that, you know, he's a, he's quite mature, actually. And the environment as well enables him to, to just drill down and start to get more confidence in the car. And for next year, yeah, I, I think now it's a good decision that he stayed for next year. Like, um, I was a bit against it because he was simply performing so badly, but... We see that with everyone in that team, you know, in Toro Rosso, Alfa Tauri and Red Bull as well. The second seat is also a bit difficult, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad they're doing that. Um, so him and uh, who did you mention before as well got the confidence for this race? Perez, you said, in qualifying, right? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Both of them that, you know, new to their respective teams. So it just goes to show these cars are, it takes a while to get used to them. They're not yeah, easy Perez, to Yeah, Perez coming alive as well. Um, doing very well throughout the free practice sessions um um was ill during uh, this weekend as well stopping as well apparently both of them yeah. yeah so i just wanted to also give a shout out to sergio perez uh starting in third finishing in third but um to highlight he didn't have the drink um so his uh, on his lap to the grid then it started leaking and they thought they fixed that but then once the race started um it didn't work so there's two factors, and so he started third, finished third, albeit you know with the distance uh, to the front two because they were just on another level uh, as they are. But this race showed it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he you know finished in third, um, being ill and having no drink is a very impressive accomplishment because all the drivers, I think Jensen Button was at the race, uh, was at the race. They say that. Even um, when you're feeling a bit ill, the effects of that are massive during the race because it is relentless. So having 
you know, a little temperature or having you know, a, a severe cold can limit your body because it's not working at the optimal level. Absolutely. Like a healthy driver, imagine that. Like <laughs> a healthy driver not having a drink or rather not having the drink available during the race is also very, very difficult. So an ill person not having a drink, still managing to finish the race, that that is really, really impressive. And and Sergio Perez commented how it was just survival for him. After a couple of laps, you know, he he had difficulties in his body where things were tensing up and he couldn't feel some of his um some of his uh, body parts, so his his feet for the braking, his hands for the steering. Then his uh, vision yeah, became blurred, yeah. uh, and he said from lap forty onwards it was just a struggle. So it explains as to why he couldn't keep up with the pace because the pace of Verstappen and Hamilton was just out of this world. Um, no, I, I'm surprised they could keep that up uh, with these tires, but they had to because mm-hmm. they're battling. Um, none of the other drivers in their cars were able to match their pace. And the drivers with the same car, so their teammates, even under you know normal days, could not match the pace of these two. So yeah. it is understandable why he dropped out of the, the pit stop window of Hamilton, not, you know, uh, towards the end of the race, simply because he was ill, he didn't have to drink, still managed to finish the race. Absolutely. Even even without him being sick, I would still have thought this would have been a good performance from him, you know. So just learning that on top of it is, uh, yeah, absolutely insane. And yeah, it is crazy to think the, how Verstappen and Lewis just could like race each other for like almost the whole race, you know, p- pressuring each other. And yeah, they are in a completely different level. This year so, we're watching something special, man. Absolutely. So the, you know, the lights go out and Max Verstappen starting from pole actually gets pipped to yeah. turn one by Hamilton and stayed like that up until the first pit stop. But interestingly, the Red Bull could stay within the RS range of the Mercedes. No problem. Usually what you see is they're dropping back because everything's overheating or the aero balance, uh, they're losing too much time, spending so much time behind the car. But what to me was very interesting to see is that that Red Bull of Max Verstappen had no problems whatsoever staying on the gearbox of the Mercedes at Austin. Yeah, very controlled. And they they decide to, you know, do a very risky strategy. They do the undercut. They came in very early. Uh, they, were, they started on the medium tires, so it could last quite a while, um, even though tire degradation, the temperature, the track bumpiness um tire degradation that was the key thing of this race but they jumped quite early because they knew the undercut would work and it would they saw that track position was was better or rather more advantageous than increased um tire life and performance like the the route that mercedes um went through yeah went on but throughout this race you know it was hard to see who who actually had the upper hand because when Verstappen pitted it seemed way too early for an undercut and then Lewis didn't pit and you would think that he would he would be ahead so in that sense it was like it was so unpredictable and this just goes to show how much strategy can also play a part in you know making the races exciting exciting because here we finally see someone uh, leading cars on different strategies actually battling it out you know um yeah yeah so Max came in. By the time Lewis came in, uh, he lost a position to Max. 
but then because of newer tires, he was able to close the gap. When Hamilton came within undercut range uh, in the in the second stint, Red Bull went early again, and at that moment of time, I thought, okay, you you pulled it off once. The second time, just a bit too early, and uh, Hungary 2020 came to mind, where the exact same scenario: Red Bull chooses for track position, Mercedes chooses for uh, tire life, mm-hmm. and uh, within the closing stages of that race. Um, Lewis Hamilton came by and the same in when was it Barcelona this year I think uh, the exact same thing Hungary uh, 2019 happened again where uh, Hamilton overtook Verstappen within the closing stages because he had fresher tire life all right yeah so the writing was on the wall um, but the opposite happened where they just you know mistimed it and rather Verstappen timed it perfectly he managed it perfectly it was textbook because it was you know the the closing stage of the race that's what formula one as a fan is all about mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who you're supporting whether you're a hamilton fan whether you're a stopping fan whether you're a neutral watcher everyone is just tense and pumped full of adrenaline because it is so exciting what you're watching and you don't know what's going to happen um, I mean, anything I can f- happen in F1, you know? Like, we yeah, expect yeah. the starts to be super exciting, always. But to have the race finish also be exciting is just a cherry on top, you know? And when it is like that, it's amazing. It's not like football or any other sport where you accumulate points throughout a game, you know? Here, literally, on the last lap, it could change, you know, championships. Potentially, that's what this race did. So, final stint, and Hamilton is getting closer and getting closer and getting closer. And then two laps from the end, you saw, or three laps from the end, and Verstappen pulls in a purple sector in in sector one, where he's been mighty all weekend. So that was the the moment of time where I thought, okay, he's not going to run out of tires. He's been controlling it, and he's got this in the bag. At that point, anything could still happen. You know, anything could still happen. But coming back to the bumps and coming back to Austin, as to why this is significant, in, in my opinion, is that um, the bumps caused such devastation to the cars that all the teams had to make adaptations. And I think in FP1, the Mercedes, they ran full beans, but I think they found damage because of that. They went too hard. It caused too much damage that by the time FTP2 came around, they had their delta saying, okay, this is the fastest this car can go without having damage because the Red Bull uh, of Max Verstappen had a crack in its rear wing and before qualifying they had to strengthen all the the, the rear wing structure. We saw the Alpha Tauri having suspension damage. We saw the Alpines having rear wing issues as well. So that the, the fact that it was so bumpy, you know, added to the pace, you know, uh, or rather dictated the pace of the mm-hmm. cars. So I think under normal circumstances, Mercedes would win this race hands down. But I think the Red Bull just were more on top of their, you know, their car and and the strength of their car. Funnily Essentially, enough, it is you, a better you'd car. also think Mercedes would be the team like that, you know, it's been for the Precisely. last seven years. Yeah. So I think the, the, the fact that it was very bumpy, that's why we had perhaps a, an anomaly in, in results here in Austin this time around. So, yeah, um, good point. 
yeah another battle that was hugely exciting to to watch was the Ferrari versus McLaren battle because yeah yeah even though he wasn't uh in in picture a lot I think Charles Leclerc had an amazing race yeah Leclerc as well. is okay, I would say Leclerc Hamilton and Verstappen they were on another level this race and yeah. Leclerc is just always in the background doing good races you know because in this year it's not really Ferrari's year of course so we're not really seeing their true potential or, or his true potential but he's always there doing like amazing in that car and we saw it last year as well so yeah hats off to him like can't wait to see how they will if Ferrari is strong next year if they couldn't even challenge the, to the championship yeah, because the with the engine upgrades that they brought uh, this the last couple of races, so both Sainz and Leclerc had uh, engine penalties because they took the new power unit. the The pace of the Ferrari was impressive, both in qualifying and in the race, where it just you know out qualified and out raced the McLarens, pure and simple. Yeah, it um, looks like a good car to drive as well, you know. Yeah, uh, Lando Norris, you know, we can't talk about this podcast without mentioning Lando Norris. Mm -hmm. He had an off weekend, you know, didn't yeah. have the, the performances that we he usually delivers and expect of him. Since but, Russia, he's, he's been a bit... Yeah, understandably, yeah. understandably. Yeah. But um, yeah, having some good battles with his teammates, with the Ferraris. Uh, it's good to see uh, Daniel Ricciardo back up there and... You know, America is his happy place. Mm -hmm. During the summer break, he went to America. He came back and won the next race. Um, fun. That's not true. He won Monza. That wasn't the next race after the summer break. But uh, but, still. but uh, he, he really enjoys Austin and you can see him. Did you catch the footage of him driving the, the NASCAR? Yeah, the I saw. And the roar of the car and the smile he has while driving it and the crowd cheering. Like That was such a perfect thing. This is how, you know, we should... F1 should kind of get into America as well. We should show love for, you know, our respective sports. And, you know, mm -hmm. why not do that? And Ricardo is such a but big But that's exactly fan, what's, you know? what's, uh, what Liberty Media and the mm -hmm. teams have done. They've sent their drivers to, you know, American football games. They've yeah. sent their drivers to, you know, all these things where they're going to be visible for American households and families on television. Yeah, so it's, it's very it's smart. But going back to Daniel Ricardo. Having a good battle with science, um, but the fact of the matter was Leclerc was just so much, uh, so further, or so much. How the fuck do you say this? Uh, he was so in his element. He was so far ahead oh. of of uh, you know both his teammate and both McLaren mm -hmm. that um, he was just uncatchable. So that shows um, the the level he was at in Austin. Like yeah. really, really impressive performance from Charles Leclerc, even though no one saw it on TV. Yeah. And going forward, you know, we can expect to see a, a very good battle because third place in the Constructors' Championship means more money, you know? And it's I'll, prestige. Yeah. And, and we I have would... two legendary brands competing for it, and we can only yep. expect fireworks as well. Yeah, I was expecting McLaren, you know, uh, to maybe get an easy third place in the Constructors' Championship, but... Ferrari have been working behind the scenes on getting their cars quick, which is not very Ferrari-like. This is something new uh, from Ferrari, you know, the way they go about things. I think it's interesting, and it could, like you said, it shows that there could be a very tight battle to right till the end, you know. It's hard to say at what track, you know, they each will be strong. The McLaren would be strong in on the straights in Mexico, but for sure the Ferrari would be better in the corners. Um, mm -hmm. they just look so good in these low speed corners as well um, 
So, yeah, it's a shame they wouldn't come to Suzuka because I think Ferrari would actually have done really well there this year. Yeah, yeah. Just last last shout-out from Austin. Uh, rather Not shout-out, but unfortunately, I want to highlight this, which broke my heart, but Kimi Raikkonen was having a very good race up yeah. until the last stages in the points, and then he spun. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, it's... Um, it's tough being a Kimi fan. It's always yeah. been tough being a Kimi fan. Like, when has it not been tough being a Kimi fan? But, yeah. It looks sad. like Austin is the new spa for, you know, older Kimi. Yeah, potentially. Because uh, he, he, his last victory was at Austin. Sure. Uh, he, he was running very well. Yeah. But, yeah, it was um, an uncharacteristic mistake. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. So, that's unfortunate. Drop out of the points. Um, but it elevated Yuki as well to ninth place, mm-hmm. having double points. Uh, yeah, impressive race again from Yuki. Absolutely. So moving on to Mexico and the crowd um, still was wild. So we had so many people in America and we had so many people in Mexico as well getting behind their hometown hero. Um, if you haven't seen the stadium section uh, in in Mexico, uh, so at the track, what used to be a baseball stadium, um, it is amazing it is you know so vibrant they always tend to have a dj though this year i was disappointed that the stage didn't move yeah um you know but they did raise the car uh and uh with the victor as well but uh the dj was just in the background but um yeah mexico what are your thoughts oh man the fans deserve a race no matter what like when this race was first announced i was happy of course because mexico has history in f1 that we're gonna go here but I did not realize how much the fans just makes this race so extra special. They bring everything to this and they support their local heroes, but they also support F1 in general. And they're just so, yeah, so passionate about it. And I had not expected that. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those races I look forward to, not necessarily because of the racing, but just because the atmosphere and the whole, you know, yeah, the whole thing that they have going, and especially the stadium section you just mentioned, it's so electric. So... Yeah, it's a it's a cool track as well. Don't get me wrong, but uh, this ha- this race has something special because of the fans. Uh, not only the fans, but also the conditions. We have mm-hmm. to remember we are rather uh, the track in Mexico City is uh, at quite a high altitude, so that changes things like the air density and yeah, exactly. uh, the way that the cars perform and the aerodynamics of it all. So, what they bring to Mexico are actually the the highest downforce packages for the cars that they tend to run at at monaco uh, for example where um they're traditionally when they use high downforce it's it's there are not a lot of straights there are a lot of corners so they need the downforce to have the grip in the corners whereas they're using this aerodynamic package high downforce package in mexico as well but it has the longest straight uh on on the calendar um, but because of the way, because of the, the altitude, the air is so thin that they need to have uh, huge downforce levels in order to get maximum performance. And that changes things up. You know, it's it's as much an engineering challenge uh, for the teams to set up their car well as much as is uh, a driver challenge, because it can be quite relenting as well uh, for for the drivers going around. um if you ever been at high altitude, you know, there is less oxygen available. Yeah. So it, it, it exerts more 
physical force on your body just doing simple things like um, walking up some stairs or such. So imagine going around a track in a in a Formula One car with, you know, four or five Gs at some corners. How many laps were there? I think 71 laps or so. Something like that, yeah. Round oh, and insane. round. Yeah. And especially the the back part of the track, which is just all these high downforce corners where you need a super stable car. So you got to be quick in these sectors, you know, and it's like from the moment you enter into this section, like it's hard to breathe. You're just holding on to dear life on the car. At least on the straight, you can maybe take a bit of a breath, but then, you know, it's not concentrated air, so it's not ideal. And with the tire wear issues, they, they all face in the graining because there's not enough downforce pushing the car down. Like I, I'm scared of imagining how quick an F1 car could go down the straight on a low downforce conflict. Like, because yeah, this, this, it seems like the car still had too little downforce going through certain sectors here, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a proper challenge and it is very unique. And yeah, I think it's one of those races that definitely deserve the spot on the calendar because of that, because of all the things considered, you know? Absolutely. So we have these two races and the pitcher in qualifying to the race are completely um, the opposite of each other. Mm -hmm. So in Austin, in America, we expected Mercedes to perform well and Red Bull pips them in qualifying uh, and as well as the race. Coming over to Mexico, all the pundits said this is a, a Red Bull track. Specifically, come Max qualifying, track. Yeah, but come qualifying, we have a Mercedes front row lockout. So how, how would you explain the, the, the Mercedes front row lockout um, in qualifying in, in Mexico? Yeah, I mean, they looked quick throughout all practice and then Mercedes were catching them a bit. And in qualifying, it looked quite close. Like, I, I was still sure it was going to be Red Bull, but then that incident happened where, you know, they were putting all the eggs in one basket right at the end, of course. Uh, Tsunoda went off, distracted Perez, which distracted uh, Verstappen, so they couldn't really improve. But perhaps this was, you know, a blessing in disguise because starting on the front row here is not necessarily ideal. It's such a long straight going into turn one. Starting in third place, you're going to start right behind the pole sitter and get into the slipstream real quick. And we saw that's exactly what happened at the race start. So, yeah, I, I think it was interesting that Mercedes got pole and they should have maybe done more to, to grab onto victory. But after that first corner, it was, uh, it was game over for them, it seemed. Well, I want to talk a bit about Yuki uh, mm -hmm. and the the incident in uh, in qualifying because he's gotten some flack for it, which I believe is is quite unfair. Completely unnecessary. If you look at it, it was known that uh, he was changing his engine and taking new engine parts, so he's going to start from the back, anyways. Mm -hmm. Once again, great performance by Yuki, making Absolutely. it into Q three. Yeah. Um, and in Q three, his sole role was to give his teammate Pierre Gasly. A toe down the straight mm -hmm. he wasn't going to set a competitive lap um because he was going to start at the back anyways so once he did his job of giving um giving a, a toe uh giving that slipstream to his teammate um which he did brilliantly he did it uh, he pulled out at the last minute where you see the other teams giving the toe to their teammates mm -hmm. they they got out of the way much earlier um in front of turn one Anyway, so that's the remaining lap. He is just cruising back to the pit lane. He's not going to set a lap. And specifically at that section, it is just one corner after the other after the other. It is the section where the Red Bull reigned supreme. Um, but knowing that Perez was going to come and behind Perez was Max Verstappen on the flying laps, 
he completely got out of the way. He went off track, so not to be a bother. Yes, he went off track and that kicked up a bit of dust, but it's better as being distracted, perhaps, uh, but went off. That was Pettis' fault. I agree. And I also more think likely that, than, than to Yeah, Yuki should have maybe gotten better information and got out of yeah. the way earlier, but that's not on him. Precisely. That Max is also affected by that. Like, uh, I, I completely understand. He was expecting the yellow flag to come out as it always tends to go. You have two cars completely off track. Both of them coming back onto the track when, when Max Verstappen was going through that section of track. So um, he lifted, um, expecting the yellow flags, which never came, and missed out on pole position because of it. But that turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Because come race starts, you know, Verstappen starts in third position, the two Mercedes behind him, and Hamilton actually gets a great start. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion... I think the the start plan for Mercedes was perhaps give uh, let Bottas give Hamilton the toe down the straight so Hamilton can then go into turn one as the leader of the race. They didn't perhaps expect Hamilton to have such a good start from the dirty side. Yeah. So by that time, Hamilton was already fully alongside Bottas, unable to give that toe then to him. Mm-hmm. And then comes the next controversy, which... Um, which is quite surprising to to hear both Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff openly criticizing Bottas for leaving the door open I didn't in hear the that media Lewis after also the did race. That. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah okay. So Lewis traditionally has never criticized uh, Bottas, always exactly. said good things about him. But um, yeah, so the start goes and Max Verstappen gets a great slipstream from, from Valtteri Bottas in front of him, then moves over to the left-hand side of the track, where, in my opinion, Bottas should have closed the door. He shouldn't have allowed Max Verstappen to come um, in that gap. But by the time he was already there, he had to leave a car's width. But, um, yeah, Max Verstappen powers on through into the lead, can break way later than both Mercedes because he's on the racing line. And just, you know, that's just his level of confidence. He yeah. picked the breaking point. He stuck to it. And, and he and, so late as well. Like yeah. You could see it. He had more... There was more than enough margin, but he was he was pushing it there. And yeah, it was beautiful because Bottas had a bad start. And I don't think they expected Verstappen to be alongside as well so quickly. So, I mean, from Bottas' point of view, like once he was away from the grid and up and running, I don't think there's much he could have done without being like, you know, endangering others. So, yeah, he had an unfortunate start that was not that quick. And that's just what like at the end of the straight, that's just, you know, multiply tenfold when you when you look at it and that's that's what happens and then yeah he got pipped of course by ricardo which was also a bit unfortunate a bit messy start from ricardo in that sense because um yeah mclaren didn't look too strong either this weekend that as well so yeah bottas gets spun around and my heart sank because all i could see was tire smoke and i think uh, 15 other cars coming towards him and um it, it, it caused a few incidents. Uh, Tsunoda got caught out. Mick Schumacher got caught out and uh, a couple of other drivers. But those two are crashing out on the first lap, which um, is a shame. Uh, good qualifying performance from Mick Schumacher as well. Yeah, Starting absolutely. 14th because of the, the drivers taking engine penalties in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but as traditionally, he has a bad start. This time, unlucky. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, his teammate, Nikita Mazbin, up in 11th after the first lap just you're completely... having a laugh <laughs> i'm not it's it's you're for sure a laugh, mate. 
um but yeah uh ricardo botas having to pit at the end of lap one uh because of damage and getting new tires and we're just completely out of play both um uh, as you mentioned mclaren just did not have the pace um this yeah. this weekend for both cars norris ended up in 10th um but uh in front of him uh, i wanted to draw attention to those uh finishing places so we have Fernando Alonso, we have Kimi Raikkonen, and we have Sebastian Vettel. Mm-hmm. In addition to Lewis Hamilton, we have all former world champions finishing in the points, which yeah. hasn't happened so far this season, I believe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that 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 could make sense. That's it was so surreal to watch that on the timing board. You know, like it was like, what year is this? But uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It, it's good for F one that these old guys are still here as well. I feel, and some of them are giving it more than others, perhaps. But yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's nostalgic watching F one today for some reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, just to talk about the turn one incident because we're all expecting here at Mexico to have a big incident at turn one simply because the approaching speed is so high and. You know, we have 20 cars that are just all squirming about trying to overtake each other. So it's bound to, that something bad would happen. But like you said, when, when Bottas spun, it, it was a bit of a moment there. But but luckily, it seems, you know, the smoke cleared quickly and the cars behind noticed it as well quickly. So all got through really well. And I got to say, a lot of the starts this year have also been good. Bottas have been involved in quite a few bad starts. But yeah, uh, not as many chaotic incidents as you, you might have expected. So. Yeah, uh, I did see the onboard of Fernando Alonso going into turn one, mm-hmm. uh, just completely through the smoke. And yeah. it was, you know, you can see the lightning reactions that these drivers have yeah. from a split moment of you know, zero visibility to car in front and then uh, taking evasive action. Um, yeah, if, if you ever done and, and listeners, what I would recommend, there's this sort of training game that, that some some uh event promoters have that uh they have buttons uh that light up uh, in various places These the action and games thing precisely yeah. when the when the when the buttons light up you have to press the button and then the speed between such if you ever take a look at formula one drivers doing this exercise uh and the reaction time of them it's 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 insane but also some drivers you see this a lot in junior formula especially formula two but uh, on the grid, you still have, uh, I think, Pierre Gasly, uh, Daniel Ricciardo doing these exercises. So reaction exercises right before the start of the race to get, you know, their neurons firing to get that amazing reaction. Because the moment the lights turn out, you know, they release their clutch pedal and it's the start. And the start is always an opportunity to gain places. So the faster your reaction time... Um, you know, the better start you can have and perhaps win some positions. Absolutely. Like everything is so much is hinging on the start, you know, because it will multiply towards the end of the race where you are. And we all know if we're if we're feeling a little bit groggy or whatever, you know, it's not ideal. Decision is not the greatest. So like I can't imagine how some drivers can't be doing exercise before going into the race because there's so much at stake, you know, and you'd think that it would be such a big help. But for some people, it might just be instinct like. I've watched on, the other ha- hmm? on the other end of the spectrum, you have yeah. some drivers just asleep right yeah. before the race. Kimi, for instance. Yeah, and that's how he yeah. operates. And he drives best when he's hungover and stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, that's fins for you, though, in general. Fair. I work so with we a get lot of them. To... <laughs> <laughs> I know how they we are. Get, we get through to turn one and Max Verstappen is in the lead, followed closely behind Hamilton, 
and Perez behind uh, Perez behind Hamilton. From there on, um, it is a chess match. You know, it's about gambling. Who is going to stop first? Mm-hmm. Because um, traditionally, we have used the medium tires where everyone qualified on the top ten, uh, and then gone on to the hard tires. So the soft tires traditionally are not used uh, in the race in in Mexico. And that became a battle in itself. Who was going to stop first? And we saw in Austin that the Red Bull stopped first on purpose and twice, where at uh, at certain points when they stopped, when Red Bull stopped and Max stopped and stopped, we thought that's way too early. But in the end, they pulled it off. And this time, what was quite significant is that Mercedes stopped first. But not because of strategic reasons. I think it's all about tire degradations. The Red Bull was just better on its tires in Mexico, where um, they were able to stop a lot later. I think Max stopped maybe three laps uh, after Hamilton, but he didn't need to. It was just completely to cover off Hamilton's stop. Um, but significantly, Perez being able to stop 11 laps yeah. after uh, Hamilton. And we know how much of a tire whiz he is, mm-hmm. but I think a large part of that was that Red Bull, the Red Bull car was just so much better on its tires in Mexico than than Mercedes. Yeah, I mean they could they could keep getting the tires to to work for a longer time, you know. Um I don't know if it's they possibly had lower top speed and more downforce than the Merck because it seemed that way, you know, the cars weren't sliding as much during the race. Um who knows, but absolutely well managed and, you know, Perez hunting down Hamilton there at the end also just shows why F1 is due for a rule change for following because he could have probably gotten closer uh, in next year's cars and potentially tried something. But this section on the back, back uh, of the track, it's just too difficult to follow. It's an amazing section, of course. But um, yeah, it's frustrating as a fan as well to watch someone who has more speed that potentially could challenge, just not being able to get close enough to really get that chance, you know? Um, so yeah. And I was just as well talking about next season real quickly. Um, I'm in the process of rewatching the 2016 season review. And I can't help but notice a bit of similarities with this season. Um, but I think that would be good for another episode to discuss, perhaps at the end of the year, when we can look back on this season as a whole. Fair, fair. But uh, let's go back to, to the hometown hero. Mm-hmm. And he was just, uh, you know, you saw the gap just decrease and decrease and decrease. And around 10 laps from the end, he got within DRS range uh, and decided not to make the move dropped back a little to cool things off because running right behind another car in Mexico just overheats absolutely everything. The tires, the turbo, the engines and such. So he had to cool off to then try it again at the end of the um, <clears throat> at the end of the race. And uh, yeah, not successfully being close enough in order to pull off a move. Yeah. So I think um, better should have done a lunge right after he caught Hamilton the first time coming out the pits uh, because Perez has nothing to lose of course he wants to be on the podium in his home race but uh, everyone including everyone in front of his home race as well you know so that as well but you know I think he should have tried it because Perez has nothing to lose whereas Hamilton has everything to lose you know Uh, a wild lunge and Hamilton will completely get out of it because a DNF for him at this stage or the DNF for, for Max Verstappen at this stage it will be catastrophic to their championship fight. 
and especially with Hamilton trailing in the in the championship, he is going to avoid risk at any cost. Yeah. So I just think this is simply because it's his home race. So you got to also, you know, cut him some slack there. Like he should be on the podium at home. And I think he ended up doing that. So in the end, I think he's happy. Team's happy. Mexico's happy. Relatively speaking, they could be more happy, but it's not a bad result. So I want to give a shout out to the unsung hero of the race, which Gasly. is Pierre Gasly. Man. Absolutely. So Gasman, like he's on so, it this year. He's but he's so under the radar. Um and I feel like people are still talking about him, but it's not enough. This man needs more praise because he's doing an absolutely phenomenal job. Like Yuki as well as a rookie hasn't performed, but he is carrying that team places where you wouldn't expect it to. And yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, Max Verstappen in, say, 2018, where just completely on an island, the cars in front are uncatchable, the cars behind can't catch him. Mm-hmm. So during the race, you won't see him because it's not interesting. He is, um, I think it was maybe 15 seconds in front, and then seven, uh, or rather, the cars in front of him were 16 seconds in front, yeah. the cars behind him were about 10 to 7 seconds behind so yeah of course he's not going to come into into the pictures because he's just sort of he's not cruising around of course he's pushing but it's not interesting for the people at home to see it because he's not battling exactly but don't take away the the you know the amazing effort and and performance that uh, Gasly put in not just here but throughout the year as you mentioned qualifying results he is there Um, at the beginning of the season, he had you know unlucky incidents on the opening laps, uh, reliability issues sometimes. But if if the car is whole and without incidents, exactly. Pierre Gasly delivers. Every time there hasn't been some weird issue, he's been up there maximizing every single result. Like I think, yeah, it, I could see Pierre potentially in a teammate role to Russell at Mercedes in the future. Like, yeah, it, that is, I think Gasly deserves another shot. For sure. At a, at a top team, because sure. I think this time around, he can deliver what he's doing to the Alfa Tauri, which I, I believe is a good car. You yeah, know? It's, a, um, it's a solid car. The fact, the fact that they're not way ahead in the constructors is simply because they have a rookie. Yeah. And rookies should be given time. And rookies should be given more leeway in order to find out the limits of that car and make mistakes, you know? Sure. I so, think in um, hindsight, though, it would have been preferable to have someone like Albon together with uh, with Gasly in the car this year, you know? Two drivers, ex-Red Bull drivers that are out there to prove something. Like, they would have been able to fire each other up and maybe bring that car into even higher places in the constructor standing. Interestingly, Alex Albon has been spending a lot of time at uh, Alfa Tauri yeah. lately. Because um, he's been the driver coach of yeah. of uh, Yuki Tsunoda, which um, which just shows how you know how Red Bull still have high regard for for Albon's input. We know the amount of work he's been putting in the simulator, which which directly trans translates into performance on the track. Um, entrusting him with you know one of their 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 brightest youngsters, you know from from Honda's and from Red Bull's point of view. And I'm so excited that he'll be back on the grid uh, at Williams next year yeah, because it's uh, they say nice guys finish last. Well, Alex Albert is a nice guy and he won't finish last. Well, depends you know, on where Williams Albert. is next year, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but honestly, okay, I rate him really highly, and just because I feel I think he has a really, really natural sense of 
sensing how the car moves around him. Like the way he drives is very aggressive, but natural. And it's a bit old school. I think he wants the car to slide a bit on exit, you know, just enough, just to, at that slip, just to maximize it. And that's where he performs best. And we see that how when he does out overtakes on the outside, he has a really good understanding of where the grip is, you know. Um, just been unfortunate he had some incidents when that has happened, but uh, that's mainly more due to Lewis, I'd say. So I think him and Williams, if Williams are on the trajectory they are now, and they decide to put their faith in Albon, because this is another thing that's really important at Williams. Um, I don't know if you heard, but Magnussen was also in, in talks with Williams about a possible seat. Not even for for this year, but for, for last year, I think, or something like that. And he mentioned one of the reasons he didn't want to continue the talks was because Williams was kind of trying to get rid of Russell, not trying to hold on to him because they knew he was going to go. And Magnussen thought that was so stupid. If a team would want to let someone like Russell just go so easily, then he doesn't have much faith in the team because, you know, they would want them to trust in the drivers and believe in them and focusing on, you know, pay drivers instead of having one good driver that he thought was not a not a good um well the williams of then the and the williams of today and the future are, are different teams. yeah but this is also you know like it also has to come down to you know the mercedes contract etc but my point is that i hope williams do really want to you know if they get albon now he's a red bull reserve driver so maybe they will still not consider him as one of their own and not focus on him and this is what they need to do. Um, they really need to do that because they need to have a long-term plan. And you don't want to end up like a team like Renault that kept switching drivers and drivers and drivers and drivers and never had a stable plan in mind, you know? Even if they have the the means and the money to, to perhaps move forward, you need stability. And that's what I think Williams really need to do. And if they sign album, I would hope that they would, you know, keep him for a while at least. Yeah, uh, Williams will be starting on the back foot next mm-hmm. next season. Uh, it's come out that they don't have a mule car uh, to use at the end of season test to test the new tires. Because, of course, we're going from 13-inch tires to 18-inch tires, or rather the, the wheel rims. And in order to test those tires, you need to have a, a different... Um, configuration of suspension and, and such so they need to adapt uh, an existing car or build a new car in order to test the new tires um, they have elected not to build a mule car because at that point of time the um, the owners were still the williams families yeah. and you know they didn't have the resources and, and money to to commit to um, a mule car so they're not going to test the new tires until next year, whereas all the other teams will have already some data on uh, on the new tires, which you know gives them a, a step ahead. So they're trying to downplay this, but I think it could be a massive, massive deal. If like if there's one thing you'd want to test in a car, like it's aero, tires, and engine, right? And the engine you can t- kind of test. You know, you can you can run it in a factory, whatever. Aero you could simulate tires you can as well of course but it's it's just one of those things a driver needs to get the feel for it as well and now to, they need to, to show how make a setup around this you know and they can't really do that unless they've actually tested the tires and it's going to be a big jump you said yourself you, they need to change a lot in the car and i think there's going to be a lot of adjustments once the season starts as well so they're already on a back foot which is yeah it's a to show how important knowledge of tires is um uh, nick heidfeld who i i rate very highly um, in my opinion, got the contract that Lotus 
simply because he, the year before he was testing the new Pirelli tires, which were then coming into Formula One. And that knowledge of, of, how, of knowing how the tires perform is massively valuable for any team. So he was immediately signed up, didn't get to keep his seat uh, at Lotus, but um, was signed specifically because he had knowledge of those tires. And we're in the same situation at the moment. The, the drivers who do have uh, um, knowledge of, of the next generation tires, so next year's tires, um, they're going to be spending a lot of time at the respective teams. So, the, um, you know, we have simulation drivers, we have test drivers and such. And, and with the testing restrictions still in place, they're going to try to see if they can accommodate more young drivers uh, for, for next year. Um, what they shouldn't do is, is, is sort of teams taking the piss of, of, uh, of Renault or Alpine placing Fernando Alonso in a rookie test um, yeah. to give him some, some time in the car. Uh, I do think you know um, there needs to be more 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 time and availabilities for young drivers, so that um, perhaps Yuki Tsunoda by the start of of the season this year spent more time in the car than the one and a half days that he he truly had yeah. in in one test. So yeah, it's about the future. Of course, we're looking at sustainability, but the future of the sports is nothing without the future talent. True. I think we talked about this as well, but the free practice sessions should also have a focus on young drivers. Like, I do think Alonso should have been at the test last year simply because he had been out for a while and it was good. But to then try and, you know, like, argue that he is a rookie or a young driver, that was just bullshit. But I think he should have been at the test. But the FIA should probably look at this more. Yeah, it needs to be reformed a bit. A bit like the super license system as well, because it's a bit too strict, I feel, in certain senses. And but, unfair. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think just to talk a bit more about the tires, because with the 18 inch rims, the tire wall is going to be so much um, smaller and modern F1 cars or F1 cars in general for a while have relied a lot on the suspension work being done by the tires. And we see it in the super slow motion. They hit a curb and you see the tire just shake like that is all Love. the energy that is just, you know, going through the tire. Um, this is, of course, wasted energy, and it would be ideal if you could then, you know, direct this energy through the car straight away and then get stable, planted down on the ground. But these are the little things, you know, that, of course, a lot of computer simulation can simulate. But at the end of the day, you could get the balance completely wrong in the car by just doing something you think would make sense simply because you haven't tested with the tires. And the balance is going to be so important. We've seen, like, how Mercedes are focusing on getting the rear down um, on the straights for instance and this ties into the balance of the car and this is something that the tires and the new rims are going to play a really big crucial part in so I really hope Williams they will have a good start to the season because I fear if they don't they're going to be a year behind the rest already um, and yeah that would be a big shame yeah. so coming away from Mexico uh, the constructors championship is spicing up again we have Red Bull just one point behind Mercedes, and we also have Ferrari overtaking McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. Quickly about uh, Ferrari, solid race, um, yeah, consistently outperformed the nearest rivals, which are, are McLaren. Um, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, right in front of each other, rather close behind. They did the swap uh, to see if uh, Sainz on fresher tires could catch Gasly. Wasn't possible, so B 
before the end of the race they swapped positions again to give Leclerc the place back. Um, it's one of those sort of, you know, typical races, you know, mm-hmm. looking, looking um, it was a bit of an old at the grand race. scheme of things. You know, yeah. it, w- it wasn't that eventful. No. No really on-track action. And what we saw was the lead driver of each respective teams finishing ahead of their teammate. Yeah. Either they didn't finish or, yeah, look at all the teams and all the finishing positions. If, you know, if they did finish, it's usually the lead driver of the team finishing ahead of the teammate. And it could have been different with Giovanazzi, but um, yeah, someone was ahead of his teammate and then the strategy just completely didn't work out. And he was very frustrated and almost hindered towards the team working against him. And yeah, I, Alpha is Yeah, but in, in, some, in some ways, perhaps it's karmic justice because usually when it comes to strategies and Kimi Raikkonen, he's on the... The, the, the bad that's end that's true uh, but you know, Giovinazzi hasn't so. done nothing wrong you know so they didn't but need that's to. Formula 1 that's part that of the game that is Formula 1 I agree you know? but I think I think Alpha is a team that's unfocused they've done so many errors this year you know like the unsafe releases and all these little things and yeah you can sense Kimi is also frustrated but they're just not so vocal about it um, and it's the team that's probably been in the in the background most and they have a big brand they have a big name driver mm-hmm. They don't really seem to take much at much advantage of it, um, and now with the well, talks the fact, with um, you know, well, Andretti have yeah. uh, broken down uh, completely, which is a shame. I was looking forward to it. Makes sense to have, you know, a team that is active in all branches of motorsport, yeah. in IndyCar, in NASCAR, in Extreme E, yeah, in no, Formula E, in Australian supercars. You know, it makes sense that this huge motorsport conglomerate would then also have a Formula One team. Yeah. Had Bernie so, been here, he could have maybe facilitated oh, that. Oh, oh, oh. Who knows, you know? Yeah, for That's sure. That's the strength of Bernie, uh, which is, yeah, interesting. That that warrants a whole episode on its own, like all these little Bernie For sure, because like. we were we were talking about um, super license points. And one of mm-hmm. the grave injustices is that um, Formula 2 would give drivers more super license points than IndyCar would. Yeah. So the top three is equal, but then starting going down further, it's equivalent to like Formula 3. Ah, that's weird. IndyCar so should in, be just beneath Formula 1, you know. It is It is precisely. right up there. Like Even if it's a spec series and it's American and us Europeans have this kind of like posh attitude towards that sometimes, it's one of the best racing series in the world, you know. Give them some credit. Well, I think the whole we're going off on yeah, like a, a whole new topic, but we should we should revisit it at a should, later podcast. But interestingly, going back to Andretti and Michael Andretti being the the, the, the boss of, of that organization, when he explained about you know the white talks broke down and such, it was very much the you know of the Europeans, the Europeans, and Formula One is still considered as you know a European sport where it's like America versus Europe, which, you know, in a world championship and with the modernization and evolution of of a global sport, it shouldn't be the case anymore. We should slowly trickle that down to becoming a, a world championship. That's why the races in Austin, the races in Mexico, so hugely valuable and important to become a world championship. And we should, you know, have it more accessible. I agree. In everything, you know, for fans, but also for drivers. Like, let the best drivers um, rise to the top. And 
of course we still need standards but lower the entry barriers you know if you finish fifth in indycar you still are a really good driver because you beat out like 28 yeah. other drivers yeah. in the same car and you would deserve so, a seat in f1 if you wanted it unless you had of course had lots of penalty because because you're dangerous drivers then mm -hmm. absolutely you've proven more than enough that you can drive a, a single seater race car around fast tracks absolutely yeah. cool so we're off to brazil yeah brazil and sprint race mm -hmm. oh yeah i forgot about that actually yeah huh. so um that's gonna for, be interesting for the victor a, uh, a total of let's see let's do some math 29 points mm -hmm. available should uh should um the driver win the sprint race get pole position get fastest lap and get the race victory so yeah. that is uh, a huge so amount 29 of points. points for max I think it's expected. going to be closer. I think it's going yeah. to be closer. I mean, Lewis is good time. on this track as well, to mm -hmm. be fair. But Max and is just also really good here. And the Red Bull car is suited for this track tremendously, you know. I think uh, we're going to have some fireworks. Uh, I've, I've always loved this track. Yeah. We've always had some proper, proper races. It is a championship deciding track. Yeah. And we've mentioned it many times before, but this... Brazil should be the last race of the season, but uh, other people. Oh, have, it's actually not the Brazilian Grand Prix. It's the Sao Paulo. It's the Sao Paulo because yeah. I think Abu Dhabi is sponsoring it, so they won't be the last race of the season. Yeah, um, that's yeah. what I heard. I don't know how much yeah, that is true. a rumor or if it's actually true or something. Um, makes sense. Money talks. Yeah, it's a bit. I think we're gonna see. You mentioned Perez's, you know, pit stop battle with uh, with Hamilton. This is something we could see at this race and the end of the the pit. Uh, the pit exit going into turn four, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of fireworks there. Um, I love this track. It's such a good track. It has lots of elevation. It's kind of short, um, but you have lots of different kind of corners and it has an amazing flow. Um, and then the straight, uh, the main straight, which is not a straight. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we'll, we're going to see some good overtakes on the outside uh, going into turn one. We're going to see some good battles going into turn four. And yeah, I really do think that uh, Max will be on top, but um, let's see what happens. Like, who knows? Ocon could get in the way again, and then uh, the championship could be completely <laughs> wide open. Yeah, but uh, Brazil has been a race where, if you look at the career of Max Verstappen, he has performed and he's done some crazy things there. One thing that came to mind: remember that wet race where he just completely lost it. Was exactly, yeah. He I was about to completely that. lost it, and miraculously, he managed to keep it out no, of no, the barriers. No, no, that was not miraculous. That but is that was just, not miraculous. No, exactly, that, that was a, not miraculous. That is a dude with experience and a very yeah. level head, just knowing when to pump the brakes, knowing when to release the brakes. Let's go of the brakes just as he's about to hit the barrier, so the car corrects itself, gets on the throttle again in a high gear, doesn't wheel spin, just slowly gets up to speed, and it looked absolutely amazing. And at the whole time, you just had no doubt that he was in complete control of that situation. And it's just... He drives away like nothing ever happened. Exactly. You and know, whereas is... everyone else's pants would be completely wet. Yeah. At least. Um, but yeah, walked away. Yeah. Or rather drove away like nothing happened. So yeah. just complete and other I think car that, control. that race, you know, that season for Stappen, of course, he, he, he won his first race in his first outing for Red Bull. But that race is where a lot of people that may not have been too into F1 saw something special in that kid. And that's what he's been able to bring ever since he joined F1. So, yeah, that's why he's also deserving of a championship, possibly. Um, but uh, let's see how it ends up. Yeah, just some, some last memories of Brazil. 
Michael Schumacher. Schumacher. Last race for Ferrari. 2008. Oh my yeah. God, 2012 uh, with Verstappen and uh, Vettel as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. Crazy good Crazy. races. So looking forward to that. Um, last thoughts from you? Yeah, no, I think we've talked about it, but yeah, Brazil is one of my favorite tracks. And Brazil is again, you know, really big in F1. The fans there also make it special. But it's been on the calendar continuously, so maybe we take it for granted. But I think we really shouldn't. This is one of the most important tracks in F1. And Brazil is one of the most important countries in F1. Um, so we should really just, you know, celebrate but that. And I hope that about, they have a long Speaking future. about talent, though, mm -hmm. there's been a bit of a lull in yes, Brazilian race talent. Um, the best bet know. is the Fittipaldis, but they're technically American. Um, Based out of on, Florida. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... I think, yeah, that's also warrants a whole different discussion, um, you know, but because the effect of Senna, I mean, Senna is still massive in Brazil, but the effect of Senna is maybe slowly dying down. Like, yeah, NASA, Di Grassi were the last hopefuls, mm -hmm. I remember. And I think NASA as well had a bright future, but just wrong team at the wrong time. Um, Di Grassi as well. Um, he's yeah, I thought, I thought, you know, when he entered, he was going to be the next hot thing. Yeah, because he, he still is, yeah. you know, driving at a very good level, but in uh, Formula but E. There's lots of controversy as well. uh, involving him as well, unfortunately. So, yeah, I just really hope that, yeah, someone is going to, you know, bring Brazil back on the forefront, not just as a track uh, in F1, but a driver, you know. I love rooting for the Brazilians. Cool. So, when that happens, we shall return. Mm -hmm. uh, I meant the, the race and not the, the next Brazilian <laughs> talent because we could, we could wait a while man. for that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thank you so much for, for tuning in again. And uh, as always, please keep washing those hands. Keep washing them hands. <laughs>